I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. It's that time of the year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of your opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and use the promo code NFL 100. Hey, everybody. Welcome into a Patriots Beat podcast on this Thursday evening. I'm Evan Lazar. Alongside me, as always, Alex Barth. And today we are going to break down the second day of joint practices with the New York Giants. A fun day down at Gillette Stadium, Alex. It's game simulation, scrimmage, whatever you want to call it. The Patriots and Giants went through about 30 minutes or so of positional drills. Then they got into a real game-like scenario, competitive 11-on-11s, full pads, live contact, where the two teams went back and forth. It started with the Giants' offense. They went three and out. They punted it back over to Cam Newton in the Patriots' offense, and away we went. So a, a cool day out there at Patriots' training camp, the final day of Patriots' training camp. And it's a little sad, Alex, So this is the last yeah. Training camp, well, our last training camp recap show, yeah. as well as a result. Yeah, I mean, I mean, last one for us. They'll they'll practice tomorrow, but it's closed. We'll still do a show after the uh, after the Giants game. So, yes, yeah, but yeah, no, this is um, it was a, it was a long nineteen days, and it was a short nineteen days, all in one. I feel like. Yeah, it went by pretty quickly. It maybe felt a little bit like a slog in the middle, as it always does. But eventually, it went by pretty quickly. And like Alex said, from a programming standpoint, we are going to continue the pod all the way through the entire regular season. We're probably not going to do shows every single day because we won't have as much to talk about as we have during training camp when we're out at practice and watching it at its entirety. But we're going to keep the pod rolling at least twice a week game recaps, game previews, that sort of thing. If there's breaking news or a big move or uh, on the roster, we'll definitely break right in with that as well. So we're going to keep it active here on the podcast. Don't worry about that. But let's get into what's going on out of Patriots training camp this morning on Thursday morning. Obviously, Cam Newton was back at Patriots practice uh, and just as so quickly before we get into it, we are going to talk about Sean Wade as well later yeah. on in the show. We're going to start. If we can do some, and I don't know if you have to be anywhere. I don't mind going a little longer. Just overall camp thoughts, too. I have some hopefully we can get into. Me, too. So we're going to get into some of that as well. So we're going to talk about Wade. We're going to talk about some overarching camp themes, as Alex just mentioned. But I want to start with the details today of what happened this morning. Cam Newton returns to practice. I know the 2-6 to six show on 98.5, Alex, was talking a lot about Mac Jones's comments about not being able to find a rhythm as much as he did on Wednesday because he had to split up those reps with Cam. Cam comes back, leads off all the drills, is treated like the starting quarterback this morning. What did you think of Cam's performance in that opening drive? That was the only drive that he that he got in the simulated game, but a pretty clean one 
on the whole besides maybe one slip up, but eight plays is all it took for Cam Newton to take the starting offense down the field and score a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, he looked good. You know, it, it, it's kind of hard with such a uh, small sample size, just six passes, but yeah, he got them up and down the field. I thought he had a really nice throw to, to Jacoby Myers over the middle on second or third play. I forget. It wasn't the touchdown. The touchdown was a Damian Harris run, um, right. but you know, I thought he had a really nice throw to Jacoby Myers. I thought there was one throw he'd probably like to have back nearly intercepted uh, by a safety, but you know, I don't, I don't know that he looked any different than he did before that time off. Again, it's such a limited sample size, so it's so hard to say. But I I feel like a lot of the narrative with Cam after it came out that he was going to miss these five practices was here we go again, and look how much he was thrown off after he he had COVID, he missed the Chiefs game. This was very different. I always thought this was very different. I never really got why people were pushing that narrative. But, uh, you know, I think we can fully put it to bed here. I, I, I didn't notice a difference between the Cam Newton we last saw against the Eagles, right, on Thursday, and then when we saw him today, you know, both sides of that gap. Yeah, I thought he looked like the same guy as well. And the throw to Kendrick Bourne that got them down to the one-yard line probably would have been a touchdown, but they wanted to get that goal line work in with the starting offense, so they left everybody out there. That throw was pretty much exactly the same throw that he hit to Jacoby Myers in the Eagles game for a touchdown, right? A crosser over the middle of the field, hit him in stride, good timing on the play, very clean rep there from Cam Newton. And the bottom line, and and this is sort of the, the sentence that I've been going with starting today, the bottom line is that Cam Newton looks significantly better in the offense this year, this time around, than what he looked at this time last year or even towards the end of the season last year. He is much more tied into the offense, his mechanics and his timing and his rhythm in the offense. He looks much more comfortable, all these types of things. Looks much better this year. There's no doubt about that. But there's also no doubt that Mac Jones looks like a starting quarterback in the NFL. And the Patriots – whether no matter what side of the coin you fall on with this Cam versus Mac debate, the Patriots did not draft Mac Jones 15th overall in the first round because if they didn't want to play him, right? This is going to be Mac's team someday, whether it's next week or in a month or next year, eventually this is going to be Mac's team. So Mac has looked at part. He's looked the part of his NFL starter. Cam has looked better, but the writing's on the wall. That We know what direction this is going in. It's just common sense. You don't draft a player that high and then not play him if he's playing well and if he's earned it. So there were some comments after practice today by Mac Jones about just getting into a rhythm today and struggling with a rhythm and – Early on in practice, we certainly saw that. The first throw was a contested pass over the middle where the receiver and the DB got there at the exact same time and the defensive back broke it up. And the second play, although some people, some accounts are saying that there was an offsides flag that was thrown on the play, was intercepted by Logan Ryan. Whether or not Mac Jones saw the flag, I think we have to say he didn't see it because yeah. we don't know. So he let me put it, I watched him after the pick. He yeah. didn't act like somebody who who thought that that play didn't count. He acted like right. somebody. So whether the play officially counted or not, he himself seemed to acknowledge that he made a mistake. Right. And this situation is absolutely nothing like Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. Aaron Rodgers nope. is playing at an MVP level. 
regardless of that, I would also say Cam Newton. Uh, sorry, I, Mac Jones is probably much better than Jordan Love too. Probably. Anyways, Mac Jones early on second pass of the scrimmage today against the Giants gets intercepted by old friend Logan Ryan and. When we go out and we evaluate these practices and you put the interception on the stat sheet and he was 10 to 21 overall, there was a bunch of drops, which we're going to get to in a second when he was out there, three or four of them at least. So some of those numbers are a little bit skewed by the drops. But the interception in particular, I think the the narratives always come out after a pick like that in practice. Oh, well, today was a cam day. Didn't look good for Mac, right? All these types of things. And I actually took that interception as a good teaching moment or a coaching moment for Mac because that he said after practice, and what I thought was really candid was that the giants were doing different things with their safeties in this practice than they did yesterday. And I, I mentioned that I thought the giants didn't exactly put out the best defense that they could have yesterday. And Mac summed it up perfectly after practice, what I was kind of getting at and didn't really articulate very well. They played some vanilla coverages yesterday, right? Everything that they saw pre-snap was pretty much the same after the snap. They weren't rotating their safeties. They weren't spinning the dial today. They started spinning the dial a little bit more on Mac and he had some struggles early on with those coverages. And he probably has never seen the coverage that Logan Ryan intercepted him on. It was a trap coverage. The defender is supposed to be in man coverage on John o. Smith up the seam is just going to let him go. Right. He's going to let John Smith run right by him up the seam and give the quarterback the illusion that Johnny Smith is wide open running up the middle of the field and the backside safety is going to come out of nowhere and jump the route. And Mac stared it down, thought he had it, tried to throw it there. And what he said after practice was that I just have to trust my reads and and go through the progression the right way. He saw Johnny Smith flash open and he just wanted to get it there instead of going through the right keys through the coverage and finding the safeties, right? So that is a really good teaching moment in my mind because that's a coverage, it's a trap coverage. It's a a veteran savvy play by Logan Ryan, and he probably has never seen that type of coverage before. I, I doubt he saw that type of coverage in college. They don't do it a ton. Maybe Clemson did it to him a couple of times. I don't remember exactly if they played Clemson. They, 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 but maybe no, not, not when he was the starter. No, right. So Venables is pretty much the only defensive coordinator in college football that's running those types of trap schemes. And most of those are too advanced for college secondary. So those are kind of NFL type of coverages. So I don't know if Mac has ever seen that. And now what I liked about that was that gets to be downloaded in the MacBook, if you will. And he gets to learn from that play. Right. And hopefully the next time he sees a coverage like that, it doesn't go the same way, right? He's able to, to right. stick it out and he doesn't throw the same interception. He then sort of got a little bit into a rhythm. They It took 19 plays to get in the well, end. So, so on that real quick, before, yeah. before we keep going, on that real quick, um, every every interception is a learning experience, I think, whether it's Cam, Mac, whatever right. the kind of interception. I think every interception is a learning experience. But I've talked about this. He had um, – there's an interception he threw. He was targeting Johnny Smith, and Devin McCourty picked it off earlier in practice, and I was, like, raving about the, the, the way he made the play. And that was, like, a productive thing because Josh McDaniels had said they look at intent, not results. Right. The one today, not as much. The one today is one where, you know, it's a teachable moment, sure, but if you're – 
I don't know that the the intent is something where they're going to look at that and say, okay, he's making the right decisions. Like you said, he stared it down. No, he um, didn't make the right decision. He's got to right. learn. And I, you know, right. I understand that's a tough coverage. They they teach these quarterbacks to read from the safety's front, right? You look at right. the safety's first and come front, and it seemed like he kind of took his eye off of Logan Ryan early. And this also goes back to my point where this is why, even if it's just two or three weeks, I think they're going to go with Cam Newton because, you know, there's some NFL defensive, defenses, defensive concepts that he just hasn't seen yet that he hasn't had a chance to see, he's going to see that going up against the scout team, and that will be valuable, getting him those opportunities before there's really high stakes. So that kind of goes back to my point of even if he's the better option, and it might feel like it's trending that way, I still think they're going to start Cam Newton for a month or so just to get, again, Mac Jones, some of those opportunities that would be valuable for him to get that he can only get in the regular season, but he doesn't get them with the stakes of being the starting quarterback. Yeah, I, I think that what Cam has given them is a great position to be in, which is that you have the ability to to slow play it with Mac Jones, right? You have the ability to right. not rush him into the game because Cam is playing so poorly that you have no choice but to have Mac Jones start week one because Cam is not playing well. Cam is playing well, which allows them to wait to put Mac Jones in and potentially – wait even you know halfway through the season or maybe in the second half there was another good point that I thought that was that was brought up that I heard that was maybe they don't want Mac to have to start the entire year right because they don't want him to fade late in the season because college players once you get into the weeks 13 14 15 16 and so on they are only used to playing 12 13 games a year Right. And then you get to the NFL. Now it's a 17 game season and you're hoping a, a playoff game. Maybe it's better off if Mac Jones only has to make eight or nine starts as a rookie right. instead, instead of 17 starts as a rookie. So Cam is putting them in a really good spot to be able to take their time with Mac Jones and put Mac into the game when he is ready. Now, after the interception. So hang on. Sorry. Sorry to cut you off one more time. Yeah. There's a really good question in there and this is important. Um, how much time will Mac Jones after get? after the season starts as the QB two, not as much. And that's why these last few days were very valuable where he took so many reps, but and this is why we've talked about it before. This is why it's so, so important that they keep Brian Hoyer or another third quarterback. He's going to get more opportunities if they have that third quarterback, because he doesn't have to worry about running the scout team. Brian Hoyer runs the scout team. Mac Jones is able to work behind Cam Newton is the true number two. So, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very good question. Uh, uh, Paul Tuke, uh, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, he, uh, he's, but, he's always a, he's a good, uh, regular, regular viewer, right? Yes. We love the regular viewers. Um, it's a very good question, um, but he's going to get some time, but not as much time. And that's why if you're wondering why we've been raving about these last couple of days. Oh, Cam's out. What's the big deal. If he's going to be the week one starter anyway, this is why, because he's not going to get as much time when the season starts. He'll get more if they still have Hoyer and he doesn't have to worry about the scout team but he's not going to get as much. I do wonder if they bring back. So I don't know if this is an NFL, NFL PA rule that you can't do this anymore, but at the beginning of Tom Brady's career, the Patriots for many, many years, over a decade, but it, it started, didn't start with Brady, but the stories that I have heard started with Brady, let me put you that way, about the Patriots running what's called, they used to call basic, which after practice, after the entire practice was over, Tom Brady would take 
five receivers, five offensive linemen with him and 11 defenders. And they'd go back on the field after all the veterans had already left and they would run what we see out at training camp, right? Just the basic concepts of the offense and Brady would lead the offense up and down the field. And that is how he would get live reps and it would benefit everybody, right? Because these younger receivers, these younger offensive linemen, the younger guys on the other side of the ball, they were all getting these good reps in as well because, as you said, Alex, during the regular season, you're trying to get the guys playing on Sunday ready for the game. So a lot of these guys are standing around during those practices. So that gave them an opportunity to do that. So maybe with Mac, they will start doing a little bit I more think, of that. I think there's something. And, and look, it's a great point. I think I remember hearing there's something in the CBA where that's now. I like know that there is limited. something in terms of you can't have a team organized activity longer than a certain period of time if mac takes it upon himself to run it what they, they go down to brookline high school or foxborough high school right I mean, something like that right i i don't know i don't know just how get, just get reps against foxborough high after practice right i i don't know how that works right i, I don't know where that line is and i'm sure the league would love to investigate the patriots for over practicing right. yeah, and things like that <laughs> but maybe that's a possibility Anyways, let, let's sure. let's talk Sorry, about let's, let's, let's keep moving. Yeah, stop keep, interrupting me, Alex. <laughs> so for after the interception, the one thing that you do have to give Mac Jones as well is he bounces back pretty well from mistakes during these practices, and he's going to make a ton of mistakes, especially early on in his NFL career. So you don't want a player that unravels after he right. throws an interception. You want him to come back and bounce back. Short he went on, memory, very important for a quarterback. Right. He went on a 19-play drive from that interception on and got the Patriots starting offense. He worked with the starters as, as well as Cam. Starting offensive line, throwing to Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne and Johnny, right? And they – Got, went on a 19 play drive from that point on and punched the ball in the end zone with a good throw and catch by Kendrick Bourne. Three fourth down conversions on that drive. And you would also see that drive go a lot faster and be a lot more efficient if it wasn't for three critical drops, especially the one by Gunnar Olszewski. Gunner, yeah, a deep ball down the left sideline. Mac Jones, Gunnar beat James Bradbury on a go ball down the left sideline. Mac put it right on him. Yeah, perfect throw, right in stride. Should have been a touchdown. And Gunnar Olszewski dropped it. So no. as much as you can sit there and say Mac's drive took 20 plays, Cam's drive only took eight plays, Cam's a more efficient guy, on the surface, that is true, but if Gunner catches that deep ball from Mac Jones, then Mac's drive is not 20 plays. Right, and that's part of the reason that there's such the disparity in reps today, whatever it was, like 21 to 6 right. or something like that. The drops are tough, and look, I'm not going to remove – yes, they threw Mac Jones off rhythm. That's not making an excuse for Mac Jones. If you're a quarterback, players are going to drop passes, especially in this offense. Right. You've got to be able to have that short memory and come back from it, and that's, I think, one of the biggest areas of growth from Mac Jones from the start of camp to now is, is his ability to have that short memory. But yeah, yeah, it was, it, it was tough. And I, you know, I, I, I think I'm worried a little bit about these pass catchers right now. I think overall they'll be fine, but with some of the injuries they have um, and the way some guys are just, it seems like in a little bit of a rut right now, it, it could be tough sledding to start the season in that regard. It is interesting that, a guy like Nelson Aguilar, for example, has Nelson yeah. Aguilar caught a pass in two weeks? Because I was out there at joint practices against the Eagles. He had a great first day in Philadelphia. Second day, 
not so much. Started dropping passes already. Didn't catch a ton on that day. And then all, he was hurt a little bit this week, right? On and off the field a little bit this week. But he's gone really quiet. He's gone really quiet. Johnny Smith has made some plays this week, certainly made some more plays yesterday than today, but he's made plays. I think that he's been fine. Hunter Henry's still in the red non-contact jersey. Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers have been solid. Myers has certainly been very, very good. Bourne's been more okay, right, passable in in his role. I'm not overly concerned about the weapons, but... I definitely don't think that they're busting down the door with these weapons either, right? This is right. this is not yeah. a great receiving core, um, but it, I, it will definitely help if Hunter Henry is back out there by week one. That's for sure. That, that's going to be a big difference, and I think sometimes just with the lack of contact, even in fully padded practices, you can't fully see what the running backs will do in the passing game. So I'll, I'll say that. But, yeah, outside Jacoby Myers, who, by the way, has been fantastic and is going to be a real find as a UDFA, I think he, he could be um, – a, a legitimate slot receiver in the NFL. I think he's there. But, yes. Yeah. With, with, with Aguilar, you know, and we talked about this at the beginning of camp, right? There's going to be drops. That's the player he is. That's why he's not an elite top tier wide receiver. He has elite speed. He has elite agility. Uh, he can get down the field, all of that. He's a good route runner, but if you don't catch the ball, it's tough. And with, with, with him, kind of what you expect is all right. There's going to be big plays. There's going to be drops, you just need the big plays to outweigh the drops. And that's what was happening at the beginning of camp. He was maybe dropping a ball of practice, but there would be two, three deep plays that he would make and take the top right. off the defense. That scale is tipping back the other way now, where feels like there's more drops than home runs. And if he's going to do that, it's going to be a problem because, you know, their whole offense is predicated on it. And if he just becomes a guy whose speed is there to keep the defense honest, but you're not really using it, all right, well, you could have had Demir Bird back for a tenth of the cost who would do the same thing. So I'm not saying Aguilar is a total bust. Uh, it's not what this is, but, you know, you want guys to be playing their best going into the start of the season, and I don't know that he's playing his best football right now. You just hope that the injuries that he has suffered through camp that have limited his practice time aren't going to lead back to Nelson Aguilar just developing really slowly in the system, right? right. Because that's right. Because he did miss some time. Wait, right. he did, did he miss a week or was it less? He missed less, but he, he missed the practice. What? He missed Monday's practice, right? And then he came off the field on Tuesday's and right. Wednesday's practice, I think, at times. And he just hasn't been a full go in, in a, at least a week. So you just hope that that doesn't come back to bite them with Aguilar, that he's just slow to develop in the system because he hasn't gotten enough reps in training camp to be hit the ground running once week one comes around. But if he plays like he did at the beginning of camp and he's that player for them, not concerned at all about Nelson Aguilar's drops. And you're going to have to live with the drops, folks. He's going to drop some passes and you're going to just have to live with it. But if he can go out there and he can make big plays down the field for them every once in a while, once or twice a game, if they can hit a big one to Nelson Aguilar, that's all they need out of him. And obviously to stretch the field and take the attention away from the slot receivers and the tight ends, right? Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, Johnny and Hunter Henry are going to benefit a whole lot from Nelson Aguilar being able to push the coverage up the field and not be Demir Bird, right? So you're going to have to, the post safety over the top is going to have to respect Nelson Aguilar, right? He's not going to be able to shade up towards the intermediate crossing route. So that's the hope there with Aguilar is that he has a big impact on the offense just as a field stretcher, as well as a guy that catches passes. But 
we haven't seen them catch a whole lot of passes over the last week, I would say. Yeah, and they they have to respect him. Like you said, it, it right. opens it up for everybody else if they have to respect him, and, and he may only get two or three chances a game. And that doesn't mean he can't be an impact player. If he's two catches for 100 yards and a touchdown every game, that's a hell of a season if that's what he does. But if he's not, you know, that means he has to make the most of every opportunity. And if he's going to struggle to catch the football, he can't do that. Right. I I do like, I, I have a feeling that Bill Belichick, after yesterday's practice, went over to Joe Judge and said, Joe, what the heck is with the vanilla coverages against our rookie oh. quarterback? Let's test Mac Jones a little turn bit. Turn it up a little bit here. Right? Yeah, let, let, let's, let's turn it up a little bit. Let's let's get real here because yesterday you guys came out and you sat in a, in cover one or you sat in cover three. You didn't change the picture on him at all. You didn't do anything too creative on the back end and he picked you apart. I know he can beat a stagnant cover one. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about when the safeties show you too high and then they rotate one into the box and they rotate into a, a cover three when it looks like it's cover two. What's he going to do then? Right. That, that's what I want to know. And the, Bill Belichick has lived his entire coaching career, that record against first year quarterbacks or young quarterbacks. We always bring it up when the Patriots play rookie QBs. He did it to Justin Herbert last year. He, he kills those young quarterbacks because they spin the dial on them. Right. They never see the same coverage twice in a row. They never know what the coverage is going to be pre-snap. They never get a good feel for what the Patriots are doing. And all of a sudden now all these different things are trying, you know, turning and, and they're seeing these new looks and all these types of stuff. And that's when these rookie quarterbacks tend to have a lot of issues with Bill Belichick's defense. So. They turned it up on Mac Jones on Thursday. He looked more pedestrian, still made some really good downfield throws that we mentioned there. The drops by Gunner was a really good throw. I thought the throw to Kendrick Bourne, although it was probably a better catch in the back of the end zone by Kendrick Bourne, that's just a perfect throw, right? That's one of those balls where either Kendrick Bourne's going to catch it or it's going to fall incomplete, but there's no danger in throwing an interception on a play like that. And that's exactly what you want when there's nobody open. There was nobody open, right? He's just looking for some place right. to go with the football. He threw the ball where only his guy was going to get it. And Bourne made a great play. Well, that, yeah. Bourne made a great catch because he's yeah. running right to left across the end line, right under one of the, the goalposts and Mac threw it behind him, but almost on purpose, like you said, because the defender's coming the same way too. And right. Bourne jumps back against his momentum, makes the catch up over his head. Again, fighting his momentum. So he's like leaning back and gets his feet down as he lands. And that's one of those plays. And, and, and I think this has been one of the most exciting. Those have been the most exciting plays of camp to me that the chemistry plays, right? Where Kendrick Bourne, Matt can't just throw that ball and Kendrick Bourne makes that catch. Kendrick Bourne has to know before that ball is thrown that right. there's a chance that Mac Jones is going to throw that ball where he is. And he knew, he knew Kendrick Bourne recognized that that was the situation and they were both on the same page. That's what, two, three months working together. And they're both on the same page to, to make that play. That's, you know, whoever the quarterback is, Matt cam with so many new pass catchers, they got to get on the same page as these guys quick. Cause it's going to maximize what they can do. And there's been a number and we've seen it with both guys where there's been instances where it feels like the chemistry and is, advanced for how long they've been together. And that goes back to the throwing camps in California that Jared Stidham set up the throwing camps. in. I think cams were in Atlanta. I forget where he set them up. I think they were at home for him in Atlanta. 
um, you know, how many guys reported to OTAs and spring practices and they had great attendance at those. And you can see that work coming to fruition on a play like that, that Bourne made today. Cause again, he's completely fighting his momentum to go back and make that catch. So he has no room for error. And that means he has to know that there's a chance that throw is coming because he doesn't really have time to stop and think about readjusting to the ball if he doesn't know where it is. Yeah, it was a great catch. It was a great play overall. And I also want to reiterate, I know we kind of went pretty hard against Nelson Aguilar just now. I actually think that they have enough on on offense. I don't think that Cam or Mac is going to be deprived of weapons this season like Cam was last year. I I think they got enough. No, it's night and day. Right. Day it's a lot better than I think what we made it sound there for a few minutes. So I just wanted to clarify that. It's, it's not again, I, you know, cause I, I said it before and I guess if it's not clear, let me say it again. I'm not saying that, you know, Nelson Aguilar is a, a certified stamp it bus. That's not what I'm saying. Right. I'm just saying you generally want guys to play their best football coming out of camp. I think he played some of his best football early in camp. He's fallen off a bit. That's, not ideal. That doesn't mean he can't get back to where he was at the beginning of camp. Guys do that all the time. It, it just veterans. feels like the injuries is the reason why he, we've yeah. gotten here. It, it really derailed a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So as long as he can go out there and practice from this point on until the end of train, uh, end of preseason and, and into week one and really get a full week of practice in week one, I, I thought, I think that that's going to be perfectly fine. Uh, I guess let's hit it with the overarching theme on the quarterbacks. Now you've seen all the training camp that we're going to see. I'm still holding out for the game on Sunday. Cause I, I do think they're going to get some work in that game on Sunday. So we'll see what happens in the preseason finale. But I think we stand in pretty similar spots here with the quarterbacks, but just give your take of where you think the Patriots are headed to start the season here. Yeah. I think today was actually a really good snapshot of where things stand overall. I think that Cam Newton is still viewed as the starter. As we saw, he led that first team offense onto the field for the first drive of the simulated game, but they want Mac to be ready and they're working hard to get Mac ready and get him right there. So they can make this change as soon as possible. You know, when we went into camp, I thought, all right, we're maybe looking at Halloween somewhere between Halloween and Thanksgiving for them to make this change. Yeah. Now I'm thinking, I, I, I still don't think the Brady game's on the table. I, I, I don't, um, but I, I week think five week, or six feels, I think week five versus Houston feels a sweet for spot. a number of reasons. And and by the way, I'm not one who buys into, Oh, you want to, you want to hide the kid from Brady. You want to hide Mac Jones from Brady specifically. I don't buy into that, but I do think you're asking a lot for a kid to make his first start against the defending Super Bowl champions, regardless of who their quarterback is, right? If the Patriots, if the Chiefs had won the Super Bowl and the Patriots were playing the Chiefs in week four, I would say the same thing. That's not the game. But you go on the road to Houston. It's your lone road game in five weeks. So you, you kind of unremove it as a trap game. That team's going to be awful, by the way. That team's going to be potentially historically bad. Right. If and when Deshaun Watson doesn't play. So nice soft landing spot it's indoors which don't sleep on that it's indoors so he's not gonna deal with you know snow that early whatever he's not gonna deal with rain or wind or anything just you want to eat you want to make it easy for him. i'm not saying that he can't handle more difficult conditions but why make him do it if you don't have to so i just week five right now especially if they start like two and two cam's turning the ball over boy week five feels really nice right now for mac jones to kind of slide in there it feels 
Yesterday, I really thought that Mac Jones had moved the needle in his direction, and I was fascinated to see what was going to happen when Cam Newton got back out there at practice today. And although Mac ended up out-repping Cam just because of the nature of the drives that they led out there at practice, and they did throw Mac in for that kind of throwaway series, I would say, with the with the scout uh, second team offensive line on the final offensive possession for the Patriots and the de facto simulation scrimmage. But I, I was a little bit surprised. I got to be honest with you that Cam just came back in like nothing changed today. I, I was a little bit surprised, and because of that, it feels like this. There was pretty much nothing that Mac Jones could have done to win the starting job week one. Cam could have lost it week one in this training camp. If Cam had played terribly in training camp and in the preseason games, then maybe that would have pushed Belichick towards Mac Jones earlier. But to me, this is almost premeditated, right? This, I feel like, has been decided and thought about and planned out for – months well going back to the draft that as long as cam was fine and as long as cam played solid during training camp that the patriots were going to stick with him to start the season and i think a big reason why and i mentioned it earlier in the show is that they might not want mac jones to have to make 17 starts as a rookie right it's a big difference going from that number to what he played in college, and then also having to deal with, of course, the more physical and faster game up here in the, in the pros. So you're playing with men in the NFL. You're not, you're right. not playing with 18 and 19 year olds. So I think that this, maybe the needle has moved a little bit closer towards Mac Jones in the sense that they might go to Mac a little bit earlier than what they originally planned. Maybe Halloween, Thanksgiving, Week 9, 10, 11, somewhere around there was more the plan. And now they think, okay, we can we might be able to push that up to week 5 or week 6, right? But I think the plan was all along to start Cam week 1, and there was pretty much nothing Matt could have done. He, he played as good as a rookie quarterback could have played over the last month. He really did. There, there, yeah, he had made some mistakes. Every first-year quarterback is going to make some mistakes. I don't know what else he could have done. To He looked the part. He played well in the offense. He he looked good at all the little things and all the things that he was supposed to look good in. He checked all the boxes. And it still feels like Bill Belichick is going to start Cam week one against Miami. Well, so uh, here's something I could see Bill Belichick liking too, and I'll throw this into the conversation about, you know, is it better for the team not necessarily to start Cam Newton more, but just have Mac Jones play less games? We see this with quarterbacks all the time. There's a little window there. It's generally about a season long where there's no tape. There's no tendencies. They're right. unknown, right? So you get into key games late in the year. There's, what is it, week 12, 13, you're going into Buffalo for Monday night. If Mac Jones has only played five, six, seven games, that's really hard to game plan for, just on the surface, because you don't know a ton about him. You don't know a ton about him relevant to what the Patriots want to do. And don't you think Bill Belichick kind of would like that little advantage? You know, if you get a me- meaningful games late in the year, and granted, that meaningful games late in the year also means Cam Newton probably played well to start the season. So I don't know that this situation is right. entirely realistic. You know, but if if you you know, just let me have the moment for a second, right? We see this with these quarterbacks all the time. Like that's why you know, and some of them stay good, some of them come back down to earth. But just about every quarterback, that first ten to twelve games 
a lot of the times is some of the best football they'll play in their first two or three years in the league because there's no book on them, right? So I, I think Bill would like that. I think Bill would have some fun with that. And you start Mac, Mac Jones, and I don't know how long that window is. And for a guy like Mac Jones, by the way, that window is probably smaller than a guy like Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson who can, you know, impact the game with his legs and well and is a little bit more multidimensional. But that window exists for Mac Jones. It's there, and I think Bill would like to have some fun with it. Yeah, and all this does with Cam is buy the Patriots a little bit of time so they don't have to start Mac right away. They don't have to have Mac start the entire year right away. All these types of factors is a great thing for the Patriots that Cam has played well enough to to be that bridge. He's the bridge right, right now, right? He's Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? He's uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Mac is Tua in this in that analogy, right? So. I feel like that's been the plan all along and maybe Max good performance in training camp and in the preseason so far and the way that he's looked and he's looked very, very sharp. He really has for a rookie, especially maybe that moved up the timetable a little bit, but I, I, I think we're both still saying sitting here today, final day of training camp saying Cam's going to start week one. It, it, it's really nothing has changed. I thought maybe yesterday changed their minds a little bit, but it feels like nothing has changed, Alex. No, I, I mean, I think things have changed, just not in terms of week one. Right. That's so, fair. Yeah. I, I think, again, the, the the gap is closed. Mac Jones is right there. He's yeah. not even knocking on the door. I mean, he's got his foot kind of wedged in there trying to pry it open. But, um, and, and that wasn't the case at the beginning of camp. But sure. I, in terms of week one, yeah, I still think it's Cam Newton. I've thought it's Cam Newton all along for September. And then I, I think, again, week five is where we start to to really, depending on the performance, obviously. Right. But week five is the earliest point, unless Cam Newton just, you know, it gets hurt or is completely awful, which I don't think he'll be that bad. Week five is where we kind of start to look at it and say, all right, is it time? Yeah, I agree as well. All right, let's move over to the defensive side of the football and talk about practice out there today. The best player on the field for the Patriots on either side of the ball might have been Josh Uche on Thursday morning. Just an absolute game wrecker up front. Nobody can block him in the pass rush. Three sacks during the simulated game. Back-to-back sacks. He had two plays in a row, uh, two dropbacks in a row for Daniel Jones, and he sacked him on both plays. Right. Right. So Josh Uche was all over Daniel Jones, all in the backfield. And I keep on coming back to the same thing with Uche. The only thing holding him back from a true breakout performance or breakout year in year two is durability. If he stays on the field, he's going to be an absolute stud for the Patriots this year. Well, so it's funny you say that because I was talking, I forget what I was talking about practice. I was talking to somebody about practice about this, that honestly, I think one of the best things for Josh Uche this year is he's not going to play a ton. And what I mean by that is Matthew Judon's going to play at least 80% of the defensive snaps. Kyle Van Noy is probably going to be somewhere in the 70s. I think with Josh Uche, you're looking at a situational role, probably 50 to 55%. But one, it's going to be tailored to him situationally. So he's going to be an impact player on every play he's on the field. The other element of that, and they've done this historically in the secondary, they haven't done it up front as much, but, you know, like when they'd rotate Jason McCourty in to keep J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore fresh. All right, so Josh Uche is coming off the edge against the left tackle, right? Josh Uche's played 10 snaps. The left tackle's played 50. Who has the edge in terms of endurance, right, and, and energy? 
and he's going to he's going to be able to come in the game. He's going to constantly be fresh. He's going to be in situations that play to his strength. So, yeah, I mean, what's a breakout year? I don't know that he's a, a 15 to, to 18 sack guy just because he's not going to get the reps to do right. that. But I think, yeah, when he's on the field, you are going to know he's on the field. And the Patriots can pick their situations with him, use him to to supplement Van Noy and Judon, and I think it's going to be very exciting. It's his speed dip move, just his explosiveness off the ball, and that's it when he gets low, turns the corner, dips underneath the tackle, and his just speed to turn the corner and ability to bet. It's, it's impressive, right? He's a shot out of the cannon type of guy when the ball is snapped in the pass rush. He was also very effective today on stunts, looping inside on those stunts, and it was extremely it was a dominant practice at times from Josh Uche today, but he beat Andrew Thomas on his first sack. Just went right around him, right? I don't even know if Andrew Thomas got a hand on him. It, it was that clean of a win, just a speed rush, straight speed, right around the corner. See you later. Right. Right. And, right. and, and you see him and he, he did, uh, he kind of touched down, uh, Daniel Jones, a little two hand touch style, right? Cause he can't actually hit him. And it was pretty, it was pretty funny watching him just, he was like screaming at the top of his lungs by the third sack. Like just right. nobody can block me, get off me type of thing. The, there, there should have been a fourth one and he got held and he yeah. lost it. What the yeah. F, right? So no, he should, he should have had four. And he was a little pissed too when Daniel Jones threw the ball after a presumed sack. It, you know, they don't necessarily blow the play dead. Sometimes it's just on the quarterback to, to have the recognition and tuck it down and call the play. Right. He threw it. It was that. It was broken up by Juwan Williams. who made a nice play over there. But and, and Uche wasn't happy. He wanted it known that, that he got that sack. And I don't think it was in a stat chasing way. I think it was just in a, you know, hey, I got you. You know, this is me. This is me showing up. And I thought he played that way last year, too. I think he plays with a guy that he, he plays with with an edge that, he wants people to know he wants people to know that he's on the field. He, he plays in a way that it's almost like he's trying to draw your eye. Cause there's so many yeah. different places you can look when you're watching football and he's trying to get you to focus. Pops on him. I, I love players like that. I, I, I love players like that. I think he plays that way and it's great. Yeah. He pops right off the screen, whether right. the, 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 it's, it's the not, actual me, screen or the, our eyes watching right. it live screen. Right. Let me call it. It's not a, you know, hey, look at me, like selfish kind of way. It's like a, right. he's putting on a show. You can't help but look kind of thing. Yeah, he, he looks great. And not to make it Kyle Duggar versus Josh Uche, because it doesn't have to be Kyle Duggar versus Josh Uche. They can both have good second years. But it feels like Uche is maybe a little bit ahead of Kyle Duggar in that regard, sure. just in terms of which player is going to fully break out in the second season with the Patriots. The other element to today's practice that I thought was interesting because on Wednesday, the Patriots got all over Daniel Jones. He, they were rushing him everywhere. They were, there were multiple unblocked blitzers. The coverage seemed to be getting him to chuck the ball down and, and they had a really good day on Wednesday. Today on Thursday, Daniel Jones did make some more downfield throws against the Patriots secondary. Juwan Williams got picked on a few times. JC Jackson and Adrian Phillips had a, a coverage bus on Dante Pettis that led to a long completion. Where is your, I guess, panic level with his secondary right now, Alex, without Stefan Gilmore? Because it does look beatable without Gilmore out there. Yeah. Yeah. And let's see, let's see what happens with Jonathan Jones too. Cause without him, I think they're in real trouble. Um, right. 
yeah, I, you know, I think JC Jackson's been excellent. I think he may have been, he, he may be, have been the best player of camp, you know, start to finish either side of the ball. Most consistent. One of the most yeah. consistent for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, outside of him, you know, I, I think if Juwan Williams is the third corner, that's okay. It's not great. It's a downgrade from Jason McCourty. If he's the second, you're in trouble. Uh, I don't love the depth. I liked, I don't know if you want to get into Sean Wade now, or if you want to do that separately. I like that addition. I, I wanted to talk about this and then segue into Okay, So I, I, I think Wade helps and we can kind of get into that, but I don't know that Wade is the answer. Even if Gilmore comes back, I don't, you know, I don't know that Wade's better than Juwan Williams. I, we didn't see him in camp, but based on what's coming out of Baltimore, I think if he was having a good camp, they wouldn't have traded him. So I, you know, I don't know about that. I, I still think they're a guy away. They're definitely a guy away without Gilmore. They still right. might be a guy away even when Gilmore comes back. So it is a little concerning. And I think you're going to, it's going to be the opposite of last year. Last year it was, you know, you were riding it. It was ride or die with the secondary. The defensive front wasn't really a factor. This year it's going to be the other way. I think you're going to need to get to the quarterback before. He has, you know, you're going to have to really close that window on the quarterback because if he has time, there's going to be guys open in the secondary. That's my years, feeling on it as yeah, well. In past years, when you had Gilmore and Jackson and both McCourty's and Chung and Ron Harmon, you might have had four or five, six seconds before mm. somebody got open, like on a regular right. basis. And that's insane. I mean, that we don't give them enough credit, give Bill enough credit, not just for how good that secondary was, but for how long he kept that group together in the modern era, those are expensive positions. And he kept them stocked, both top end talent and depth for three years there. And, and I don't know that he gets enough credit for that. Um, that's kind of been chipped away at now. The top end talent's still there. The depth is certainly not there. And they're going to have to compensate it again with that pass rush. And that's where Matthew Judon comes in. It's where, you know, we were just talking about Josh Uche comes in, right? Maybe Christian Barmore, Ronnie Perkins, the rookies. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 the depth, I, I still think Gilmore, not, I think they need a piece. They definitely need a piece. If Gilmore can't start the season, they need a real piece. Even if, if Gilmore comes back, maybe Sean Wade can be that piece. You spell him with Juwan Williams a little bit. You play Jalen Mills at outside corner a little bit. It's not going to be pretty, but with this pass rush, it probably gets the job done. Uh, but I still think you could add another veteran and that's the better way to do it. So if Stephon Gilmore comes back, then everything I'm about to say, you can just throw it out the window because he changes everything, right? By I the mean, way, the, uh, the Sean Wade trade was just made official. So that's... Okay, so it. that's done. It, it, it He changes everything, right? And yeah. the, the But the one thing that I, I want to... You know, I agree with your point 100% about this pass rush this year and the way that this defense is constructed, especially if Stephon Gilmore has to sit out a few games to start the year, they have to get home with the pass rush, they have to get home, right? Right. That pass rush has to be dominant and they have to get teams in third and long in third and six plus, let's call it so that they can draw it up. Right. And so that they can scheme it up in the front seven and get after people because JC Jackson is not a concern to me. I think he's been very, very good. I think John Jones is still John Jones, but you start talking about some of those secondary options in the defensive backfield, right? Uh, Jalen Mills, Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, some of these other guys that are going to have to cover some man to man. That to me, I think it, that's where teams are going to go. They're going to, the offensive coordinators and coaches love to call it, where's Waldo, right? 
There, there's one guy on every secondary that everyone's going to pick on, right? And he's Waldo. So right. every Sunday you go out there and you try to find Waldo. And whether that's Jalen Mills, whether it's Duggar, whether it's whoever. Juwan Williams. Juwan Williams. Yeah, exactly. Juwan Williams. The Patriots have a couple of options for, for Waldo right now, quite frankly. And if Daniel Jones can find Waldo, then you best believe that some of these better quarterbacks, Tom Brady comes here week four, and Juwan Williams is out there at boundary corner for the Patriots, they're in trouble, right? They're, they're in some right. real trouble. So Stephon Gilmore changes everything. But this secondary is going to have to be aided by the pass rush. The pass rush is going to have to get home. They're going to have to be able to scheme it up. And they're going to have to be able to stop the run on first and second down, too, because they can't be in third and three, right? They have to be in third and long so they can scheme it up and blitz and do the different things that they can do in the front seven. Or they have to give Stephon Gilmore whatever he wants, because let's call a spade a spade. Stephon Gilmore has a quad injury right now. Stephon Gilmore right. is rehabbing and coming back from an injury, but that injury will go away just like that if Stephon right. Gilmore gets paid the money that he wants. So on the one hand, Gilmore is kind of the saving grace, right? He can come from – he can be the angel from above and come on down and make everything fit, right? But right now the team that we have seen out there in training camp without Stephon Gilmore, they have some holes in that secondary. And maybe Sean Wade – I think that's putting a whole lot in Sean Wade's basket, right? Let's not put all of our eggs in the Sean Wade basket, Sean Wade basket, but maybe Sean Wade can be a piece. And I want to talk about him as a player because I think this is a very Belichick like trade for a player that in 18 and 19 at Ohio state was playing mostly inside as a big nickel, uh, kind of in a Patrick Chung type of role, right? He plays inside and is one of the best DBs in college football in 18 and 19 playing that role. In 20, they had to move him to the outside because Ohio State, believe it or not, finally got a little bit thin at outside corner. They they tend to have guys in droves at that spot. But in 2020, they were a little bit thin at outside corner. They moved Sean Wade to the outside to make up for that, and he got exposed out there, and it was very, very clear that he wasn't that type of guy, right? He wasn't a true boundary corner. He's a big nickel, a slot, a money backer, that type of player, a lot like a Jalen Mills, I think is a nice comparison. Eric Rowe was another comparison that somebody threw out there on Twitter to me that I think is a decent comp for a guy like Sean Wade. Somebody that's probably more comfortable inside the formation, guarding tight ends, playing zones in the middle of the field, and occasionally playing outside against maybe a number three receiver, but not against the other team's number one like he was in the national championship game when Devontae Smith gave him uh, stole his lunch money more than once. Yeah, well, somebody pointed out too. He, I guess he played some safety in Baltimore, so you know. Maybe yeah, that's he's a Swiss Army. He's a, he, the reason why I compared him to Jalen Mills initially is because he's a guy that can move all around. Right, that's right. Versatility is certainly one of his better traits. Yeah, I, I mean, I really liked him coming into the draft. I thought he was a fit. I had him circled as a as a potential fit. The other thing, and you kind of touched on this, he he was considered a first round pick. Some people had him as a top ten pick. Right after the 2019 season. And then obviously rough 2020 he starts playing out of position. He falls all the way to the fifth round. And I tried to find the quote earlier today. I couldn't find the exact quote, but you know, if you remember back one of his pre-draft press conferences, sorry, excuse me. Um, Bill Belichick talked about 
how in some cases the team valued the 2019 draft tape more than 2020, right? And they drafted guys who fit that mold. Ramondre Stevenson, Christian Barmore, uh, Cam McGrone, Trey Nixon, guys where you're more impressed by what they did in 2019 than 2020. So Sean Wade's another guy like that. And they may view this as they got, you know, top 60 talent for a fifth and seventh round pick. They essentially traded Sony Michelle for Wade and moved up from the fifth to the fourth is essentially what they did. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I think he's a good fit for them. He makes a lot of sense for them. The other thing is on a four-year contract and they're not only do they need cornerback depth this year, they need it down the road. So he's a guy they can work with. They can try to get better. We know how Bill kind of finds corners here and there and, We'll see what happens. I don't necessarily know that he's a lock to make the team. I think maybe he goes to practice squad and then gets called up if they need the depth. Um, but he's a good addition. They didn't give up a ton to get him. I think you have to like the trade. The other, I have heard a little bit of potentially moving Sean Wade to free safety as well. I I, I see him more right. in that strong safety Patrick Chung type of role, but he's definitely someone that's more comfortable in the middle of the field. And the Patriots just, A, First of all, on the surface, Sean Wade, 6'1", corner with good size, good length, good press man ability. He has a lot of traits that they like in terms of defensive backs, right? He can play man-to-man coverage. He's a physical guy. He couldn't, he'll, he's not afraid to come up and tackle in the run game. He does a lot of the Patriot-like things. But this is another guy that they are throwing at that Patrick Chung role. And now they have Adrian Phillips, Jalen Mills, Kyle Duggar, Sean Wade, they have a lot of guys that they're trying out at that spot right. to potentially cover tight ends, I think, is maybe a role that John Wade could hold down. So they're not 100% sold on their players there, I don't think. I, I, I don't think that they're 100% sold on Kyle Duggar, for instance, being the long-term answer as a tight end stopper, right? I think they know that Kyle Duggar is going right. to have a role in this team and he's going to be a good player for their defense, but his role might look a little bit different than what they initially projected. They drafted him thinking that he was going to be Patrick Chung. Maybe he's more Palomalu Rodney Harrison, right? And those are obviously lofty comparisons, but just in terms of playing style. So they feel they have been throwing a lot at that spot, right? Just trying yeah. to find the next successors, the heir apparents, whatever you want to call them, to Devin McCourty and Patrick Chung. And Sean Wade feels like he might be another name in the hat at this point at those spots. So he could play a little bit outside corner. I, I don't think that's his best use. I, I think his best use is inside. So it is another guy, another guy to throw his name into the hat of playing some safety, playing some nickel corner, uh, doing those types of things. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. And look, maybe he develops on the outside too. Like he's right. A younger player. And I think there's a number of ways he can go. And they, they generally like those guys. Yeah. They, it's just a player that they like in terms of the traits. I don't think we should look anything into it. A lot of people on Twitter asking, does this have to do with Stefan Gilmore? Does this have to do with Jonathan Jones going out of practice early today? I, I think that that's getting to putting way too much stock right. in a fifth round pick trade, you know, trade for a fifth round right. pick. With with Gilmore, I, I don't think so because if they really were worried they wouldn't have Gilmore, they're going to give up more to get more. They're going to go right. get a veteran. They're not going right. to go get Sean Wade. Right. And with John Jones, all right, that trade was reported about one thirty, So I think less than an hour after John Jones get got hurt, the, like you don't get from 
the initial call to reported in that time frame. Like this was being negotiated before they knew John Jones got hurt. So I just, I don't think the timeline lines up for that. Right. I mean, they're not going to acquire a guy on August 26th, two weeks out from the regular season that was drafted in the fifth round that struggled to play on the boundary and then come the next day and be like, Oh, this guy, we, Stefan Gilmore is not going to be out there week one. So we're going to play Sean Wade. <laughs> right? right. Like that, that's not what's happening here. Maybe he's going to be in more of a competition with a guy like Juwan Williams. And we've talked all off season, all summer long, Alex, about the outside corner or just cornerback depth in general. I don't even want to put the outside corner. Right. Moniker on it, just cornerback depth in general, and guys like D'Angelo Ross and D Virgin, and even Mike Jackson, who's kind of disappeared a little bit, I would say, in the last week or or two. Uh, He's okay in Philadelphia, but definitely hasn't done much at all this week against the Giants. I think that they look at Sean Wade as a better option than all of those guys. So maybe he's the fifth cornerback on this team competing for John Dwan Williams as sort of the third or the fourth corner there. And I just, he's definitely not here to replace Stephon Gilmore, but he's here to potentially push some of the depth guys that they do have currently on the roster. Right. And I think, you know, if all goes well, not replace Stephon Gilmore, but they're going to need corners next year. Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, both in last year, their deals, highly doubt both are coming back. Maybe one comes back, but he's not directly going to replace either of those guys, but he'll be in competition next year when they need that starting corner. I think he's a guy that's talented enough that he can be in that conversation next year. Okay, so did we get the actual – I saw that it was floated out earlier. The trade compensation was what, like a – yeah. Sean seventh Wade this in year, seventh. fifth next year. Yeah, no, it's, like it's Sean Wade for for a fifth and seventh. Okay, so or that's what I think Breer had. That that's pretty decent compensation, right? I mean, especially for a guy that was drafted on day three. So you're you're giving them you're, you're recouping their their investment at least, right? And the player, right. so and throwing in a seven. So obviously the pay, it feels like the Ravens probably thought that he was gonna they were going to cut him and then he was maybe going to get claimed on waivers. So the Patriots just avoided that whole waiver wire situation and jumped in there and uh, were able to get this trade done before that all happens on Tuesday. And just one last thing, this has nothing to do with the Patriots, but a couple of tweets just now from Adam Schefter and uh, both from Adam Schefter. First one Colts placed offensive lineman, Quentin Nelson and Eric Fisher on the COVID list today. The Titans uh, have nine players. In, oh, nine people, I should say. I think it's eight players plus Mike Frable. Yeah, I saw uh, – they have, no, they have another coach on there too. I, I think it's – Okay, so right now it's Ryan coach. Tannehill, uh, Joff Swain, Justin Mark Lillard, a, tight, a linebacker, and uh, Kyle Pecco, a defensive tackle. Tannehill obviously being the biggest name. But Quentin Nelson and Eric Fisher are two uh, – I think Fisher's hurt, so he's not going to start the season. But those are two guys that are going to be projected starters in Indy down the road. Obviously, Quentin Nelson is maybe their best player on their team. And you just look at this, and I, I don't want to make everything about the Cam's COVID situation and everything like that, but these guys are popping up on the COVID list again, like just like last right. year. Right. And this morning, Isaiah McKenzie from Buffalo 
was suspended for not wearing a mask around the facility. And Cole Beasley has been out in the five-day reentry protocol because he was near a trainer that tested positive for COVID. So the league is consistent with making this as hard as possible on anybody that doesn't have the shot, right? And I I don't know. It's just – it's more proof that this is a risk with Cam Newton. And I, I don't want that to be a part of this. I really just wish we could make it about football and let the best football player start the season for the Patriots. It, it is about football. The reality right. is it is about football because the rules impact the football on the field. I'll give you two more numbers here. These just coming across. Tom Pelissero, current vaccination rate is around 93%. That means there's just 200 players, about 200 players in the league that are unvaccinated. What is that? Like, eight or nine players a team, if that. Right. Um, and we know that there's still teams that are in the 70%. So I I still think Cam Newton might be the only, un, like one of few unvaccinated players on the Patriots. Here's another one. This is from not Jonathan Jones, the corner. John, and I always get confused see him on Twitter. And I feel that Jonathan Jones covers the NFL for CBS. Right. NFL is seeing a 2.2% incidence rate among unvaccinated players, but just 0.3% among vaccinated players. So basically, whether it's your test positive, you're fine for not wearing a mask, close contacts, whatever, you are seven times more likely to be involved in a COVID incident if you are unvaccinated. Cam Newton is seven times more likely to miss time. These are the actual numbers. You know, people say, oh, right. is it really, does it really make a difference? I'm telling you the actual numbers. And I know some people don't like to bring numbers into this, but the reality is the numbers are a part of it. Science is real. It exists. Gravity. Cam Newton is seven times more likely to be involved in a COVID incident than a vaccinated player. Right. And those incidents can potentially take him off the field. Anything that takes the player off the potentially off the field is part of football. That's why we're all fixated, by the way, kind of same thing. That's why we're also fixated on, on Mac Jones knee brace. What's right. going on there? Is it something that could potentially unexpectedly take him off the field? Right. And we don't know. So it's a little less concrete, but it's worth asking. I, the, the numbers right now tell us that Cam Newton is seven times more likely to have to be whisked out of the locker room last minute. Like he was this week. Than a vaccinated player. Yeah, and that has to be a factor in it. It's not the entire puzzle, right? It's not everything, but it's a factor in the equation. And it's just something that we all have to live with at this point. And the other thing mentioned here by Todd Perlicero is that almost all, according to Dr. Alan Sills, who's the chief medical officer of the NFL, almost all of these positive tests are the Delta variant. They're able to go and Interesting. test the actual, which part of the right. you know, which virus, which what's responsible for what. And apparently the Delta variant, according to Sills, is the leading issue here for the NFL. I mean, so, I think that's true. National, Global, right? I would yeah. I would assume that the league's COVID situation somewhat mirrors the national or international COVID yeah, situation. Yeah, this is probably like a little case study, right? And the NFL right. is able to get these numbers. Slice of the pie. Right. The NFL is able to get these numbers and get these statistics because they have a bajillion dollars to go out and pay and do it, right? So it's almost a good way for the government to learn some things about the about the COVID situation in the country as well. But what happened in Buffalo, I think, is the is the one thing because <laughs> what happened? What's happening? What's happening in Buffalo, I think, is the most interesting thing with Cam because Cam 
Isaiah McKenzie gets suspended, right? He, I think he got suspended for not wearing, yeah. getting caught twice, not wearing a mask in the facility with the Bills. You're then, watching him on the cameras, on the security cameras. Right. Then Cole Beasley got put into the five-day re-entry protocol, even with a mask on, because he was a close contact to a trainer who tested positive for COVID-19. That's all it takes. Right. And not just right? Cole Beasley. I think it was three players, right? Yes. Right. Cole Beasley is kind of the ringleader, but yes, it, it was a couple of players. Right. So point being that Cam Newton could be in the training room like Cole Beasley was getting a massage, getting treatment after practice, and he could have a mask on and still be deemed a close contact if that trainer that was working on him comes down with the virus. Right. Yeah. And we are seeing breakthroughs with the Delta variant with the vaccination, which we all know about from our own everyday lives. So this is how real the situation is with Cam and how risky this is potentially for the Patriots is that he doesn't even need to get COVID. Right. He doesn't even need to get COVID. Right. He just needs to be around somebody that potentially gets COVID or he needs to not wear a mask for five minutes or whatever. Right. Like it right. doesn't even need to be a positive test. What are some of the enough about COVID? I just thought a lot of the information coming out just now, especially. Well, no, no I'll, I do want to going address, on list. I do want to address one yeah. point in the chat because it's a good point and it's fair. And I think they have a good idea of the conversation we're trying to have. It's not about, you know, we're not chastising Cam Newton or Cole Beasley or anybody for, oh, if you don't take it, you're going to get sick and blah, blah, blah. It's obviously their choice. Right. But the reality is they are NFL players. These are the rules. These are going to be the rules in the NFL. And they have an impact on the outcome of games for the team. So it's not about, you know, I, I think I said this the other day. Freedom of choice. I, I totally we are both believe in freedom there, of choice. 100%. But freedom of choice does not mean freedom of consequence. These are just the realities of, of – and if you want to say, well, the rules aren't fair. They shouldn't be allowed to do that. You can yell that all you want. The rules are the rules. This is what they are. So, you know, you're risking playing time. If you're Cam Newton, Cole Beasley, whoever, you're risking playing time by not being vaccinated. If you want to make that trade off, that's fine. But we're here. Me and Evan are here to talk about, as we have every day, the outlook of the team. Right. Cam Newton's availability impacts the outlook of the team. Cam Newton's vaccine status and any player's vaccine status impacts their availability. So th- we're talking about it in that context. I don't want to sit here and preach about why somebody should or shouldn't get the vaccine. I, I, I That would be we, stupid for me. To neither do I. Not, but, neither one of us care, honestly, right. about that side but, of the. But, you know, if Cam doesn't want to be vaccinated and take the risk medically, that's his right. I, you know, good for him for exercising his right. I, I really couldn't care. It's his choice one way or the other. But I'll talk about how it relates to the Patriots in a football point of view, because that's what we're here to do. Right. But that being said, I'm done with the vaccines. Let's move on. (laughs) I know you want to talk some other overarching themes of training camp. We kind of hit on the quarterbacks and our final thoughts from camp with Cam and Mac. Uh, What else did you, did you want to mention in terms of just what we saw out there over the last couple of weeks? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I just kind of had the overall thought coming away from practice today, the 19th training camp practice, there'll be a, the 20th tomorrow, but we won't be there. So for observational purposes, training camp is over. And I, you know, there were little runs during camp. We had the, the Quinn Nordine roller coaster. Obviously, Ramondre Stevenson came a long way. Yadni Kajust. But, you know, big picture. I 
came away from camp kind of the same way I went in, in terms of the overall standing of this team. And some people might look at that and think it's a bad thing. Oh, how can nothing change during camp? All these practices you talk about, they're being so important. I, I actually think it's a good thing that, you know, big picture, nothing really changed because I think one of the biggest problems for the Patriots last year, especially late in the year was their lack of identity. And yeah. they didn't have that one or two things they could fall back on when they needed to fall back on them and win a game that, you know, even as, as good as the running game was at times, it was inconsistent. We all know the passing game was inconsistent. Defensively, there were inconsistencies. Special teams was inconsistent at times. I even thought um, towards the end of the year, but I feel like this team coming away from camp, the fact things didn't change tells me that there's an identity and this team has an identity and it's, Smash mouth football, running the ball on offense, which, by the way, is a sustainable way to win in 2021. We talked about this yesterday or two days ago. Uh, the defensive front is going to kind of, when we just talked about this earlier, is going to where they're going to win and lose on defense. Um, they they have those things they can fall back on. They have an identity. And I think that that it just makes you feel comfortable as a Patriots fan. Because, again, they didn't have that last year. Everything was super unpredictable. You were always on the edge of your seat watching them in the worst way possible. I don't necessarily know that that's the case with this team this year, at least starting the season. I I think we're both on the same page with this in terms of, I guess, as somebody said it in the chat just now, seeing the forest through the trees, right? We always talk about right. the trees. That's our job. Our job is to get into all the minutiae well, and all the details. And, the last day of camp is for the forest. This is, right. this is the day so that you talking about, about the, the forest, forest. I think the best takeaway that I – can put out there about this team is they look as advertised right, right. The, the free agent additions judon johnny smith uh, hunter henry hasn't been out there for as much as you would like of training camp but certainly has been out there enough matt even mac jones looks like a first round quarterback right, right. Like, everybody has looked as advertised and i would say that even some of the flaws in the team that we knew might exist are still there and are as advertised as well, right? But the biggest point being they went out and they made a lot of improvements in the offseason, and I thought over the last 19 practices in the two preseason games we've seen so far, we have seen those improvements and we've seen those individual players come to play, right? We've seen all of them fit into their roles and work out in a lot of ways. Maybe – Nelson Aguilar hasn't been perfect. I would say Kendrick Bourne has had his some of his issues, and so maybe the receiving corps still is a little bit up in the air. But for the most part, this team looks a lot better. They yeah. look a ton better. And well, it, what it, again, in, in record-wise, what will mean it remains to be seen, right? They, they got to go out there and they got to win the games. But this does not look – this roster looks competitive. It looks – Good one through 53. It looks good in a lot of different areas of the team. Judon has played like an $18 million player in training camp and right. in the preseason games. Uh, guys like Johnny Smith, I think, has played up to his contract. I think that some of the second-year players or some of the younger players like Josh Uche and Christian Barmore and Mac, obviously, have practiced up to their draft selection status as well. And that is the good news for the Patriots is that – the puzzle or the the chessboard that Bill Belichick put out there in March and April, we went and saw it for 19 practices actually 
come to fruition to a degree. Now they have to go out there and actually win football games, and that's going to be on them. Yeah. No, I, I mean, we talked about that at the, a lot at the beginning of practice, right, about how you could kind of see it all coming together, and it goes back to my point. I, Not just are they better, you know, the Bill Belichick quote, it's not about, it's not just about collecting talent. It's not about collecting talent. It's about building a team. Not just are they better, there's a sense of order to everything. You, They didn't just bring in good players. They, right. they brought in good players with specific purposes, and you can see the purposes for most of those players, if not all of them. So that's, you know, again, right. you don't always know, especially a team that, you know, maybe was kind of in a rebuild this offseason a little bit. Um, you don't always know that camp's going to go the way you expect it to go. But, again, I don't know. Do you have any major feelings about the team that were changed over the course of camp? It was a pretty you know, chalk better camp. or worse. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. it was all chalk. I you know, my roster projections didn't change a ton. I guess the Sony Michelle trade is probably objectively the big surprise of camp, right? Especially right. with the way Cam Newton came back today after missing time. That was probably a chance for things to to, to have a big change. But uh again, I think that's good. This team had no stability last year, and that really hurt them. And I think you know, some people will say, well, how can nothing change? All the practices are so important. I think they proved that, that they're a stable team, a stable roster, and that, that's what you want to see. I think the only things that changed are actually with the receiving wide receiver room. The first one, Nikhil Harry actually had a pretty solid that's game. That's true. He yeah. got hurt. I don't know if I necessarily saw that coming, that he was going to look at least a little bit better. I don't know how much better or where we want to put that on the scale or whatever, but he looked a lot better than he has in the past. The other development I would say that came out of this training camp that not didn't necessarily come out of nowhere, but was a lot more prevalent than I thought was Jacoby Myers' development. He has yeah. developed into a legitimate NFL wide receiver, like a real threat at that position. I I knew he was going to be a steady guy. You knew he was going to be consistent. Last year down the stretch, he was on pace for some ridiculous over a thousand yards. If he had gotten that target share for the entire year, things like that. He has come back this training camp and looked even better than he did at the end of last year, I would say. And he has, to me, taken that next step. And I think that he can be a legitimate, I wouldn't call him a number one, but if you're considering Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith as the combination of your of your engine of your offense, Jacoby is the third guy in that mix, and he's a, you're comfortable with him being that in that spot, right? Where your top three weapons, right. if you will, in the passing game are Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, and Jacoby Myers. I think you could do a whole lot worse. Myers has really developed into a very very good football player, and it's not just the quickness, it's not just the short routes. He's got a lot of deep balls in this training camp as well. Right. I mean, the throw from Cam on Wednesday or Mac from Wednesday, excuse me, uh, the throw earlier in the week from Mac on the slot fade against Jonathan Jones, winning at the catch point, winning down the field. He has developed into an all around player. Yeah, I think with Myers, some of it was he learned what he had to learn and perfected what he had to perfect to make the team. And that was kind of Julian Edelman's role, right? That, right. that short to intermediate over the middle, sit down in the zone receiver. And I don't. I just think because they needed him so quickly and he didn't really have a base, a massive base to work from having only played receiver for two years coming into the league. Right. It's almost like they said, all right, just focus on this one thing and get really good at this one thing because we need you to be able to do it. And now he has that down. I think we saw that last year. He has that down. And so what he's been able to do this season and this off season, and we've seen it in camp is all right. So he has that down. 
Now he can expand the rest of his game and grow the rest of his game and become a complete wide receiver. And I think that's what he's been able to do. I, I don't think he did it this summer. I think he put in all the work before this summer and then he showed it off this summer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so looking ahead to next week, Alex and I are going to come back on the podcast to break down the preseason finale against the Giants. I I do think that the Mac and Cam are going to play a little bit in that game, even though today was a really intense practice. Cam hasn't practiced all week, so he could use some reps, whether it's a series or two or whatever. Mac is still a rookie, so all the reps they can throw on his plate probably assuming that Cam is going to start the season at quarterback too. You might as well get him all the reps that you can now. So I think we're going to see both of those quarterbacks. We might see a little bit more Brian Hoyer in the second half than what we've seen so far. But Cam and Mac, I think, are going to be involved in that game. We're probably going to see a little bit of the starters on both sides of the ball, I think, from a consistent amount of time. I think Joe Judge said he's going to play his guys for a half. Yeah, that seems to be – not every coach has come out and said that, but a lot of coaches are leaning towards – at least a half for the starters, right? right. In the preseason dress rehearsal, right? That it, that it always is in the third preseason game. So I think both uh, starting offense, defense for both sides is going to play a little bit. So Alex and I are going to come back on the pod on Monday to break down the game on Sunday. And then roster cut down. So on Tuesday, Alex, right. up here we'll do a show Tuesday night. Tuesday night. To yeah. discuss the 53-man roster and all the cuts that the Patriots make. And, of course, uh, it's a, it's an awesome day on Tuesday. You get all the cuts, then you get the practice squad set and all these uh, good moves. The Patriots always wait till 10 o'clock at night to release the official 53, and we have to do the whole thing where we put all everybody's reports together in a spreadsheet and make sure that we, get a, we can get a roster earlier. So we're definitely going to do that. And then we're going to get into some of the regular season stuff. No game, obviously, Labor Day weekend. But we're going to get into some of the regular season stuff, look ahead to Miami maybe a little bit early. And then regular season schedule, Alex, we haven't exactly worked that out. But probably twice a week, a game recap and a game preview later in the week. So keep it right here for regular season coverage all the way through the end of the season. We're going to continue rolling on the podcast, not quite as often as we did for training camp in terms of uh, shows, but we're going to definitely still be in your ear plenty. So we really appreciate everybody that followed along, that watched us, that listened to us, that came in the chat. I know we've had uh, some people in the chat we don't particularly get along with sometimes. (laughs) But, but you keep coming back and we appreciate you for it. We really appreciated it. It was, it's been a really fun month and I appreciate, and I know Alex appreciates as well. Everybody coming back every single day. The show did a lot more uh, numbers than we ever expected. I think in terms of just how many people were watching live with us and things like that. So that's a wrap on training camp. Again, we really appreciate and thank everybody that's followed along with our coverage all throughout camp, but don't quit us just yet. We're going to be back. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't you worry. But thanks again for following along for, with us for another training camp. Alex, uh, another one in the books. It, it, it feels good for us. was, uh, you know, considering I didn't get to go last year and uh, my first camp at, at 98.5, a little different than covering it at, at CLNS. So this was uh, a ton of fun and you guys made it fun. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. And like I said, Alex and I will be back on the podcast on Monday to recap Sunday's game on Tuesday to discuss the 53-man roster. So we're not going anywhere and we'll see you next week. Thanks for watching, everybody.